Well, happy Easter, everybody. Give me a moment uh, just to kind of like take it all in. I did this last service. It was the largest service we've had since uh, pre-COVID. And it's just like, I was looking at people as you were coming in. I was seeing faces I haven't seen. So I just want to say, I'm so glad you guys are here. (laughs) I'm so glad you're here this morning. And on Easter, and just to see all the familiar faces, but also see faces I've not recognized, that I've never seen before. And so I want to introduce myself. My name's Tony Diekman. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm just excited. It's Easter. This is a great day to see all new faces. A couple of things. There's some other new things going on. You might see some children walking around with carnations on. And so this is actually their first service. They're actually going to be participating in communion. And so we do have communion in this service. So if you haven't been uh, before, we celebrate communion this morning. It's the first time we've done so in a long, long time. And so we want to tell you that's happening this morning. And we're just excited. Uh, And if you want to commune, we'll do that later in the service. But if you're not comfortable coming forward and being served, uh, in the back on the booth there, there's a table and there are elements that are in a bag where you can go there and there's someone there can help you and direct you actually if you want to participate in communion this morning. So uh, just want to say, he is risen, right? Woo, hallelujah. Yeah, so I think about Easter and, and we were talking about it earlier. I was talking about it at the Connect Desk and it's like Easter is like the day, right? But in reality, Easter's every day for us as, as believers. And we need that hope of Easter that Easter provides. We need hope, especially in the world today. You know, it was two and a little over two years ago that everything shut down because of COVID. And, and now we're back in person. The, 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 things are getting better. And, and there's still this lingering feeling in the air that maybe we might take a step back. And there's just like we get discouraged. And sometimes maybe we look around the world today and we think that maybe like countries invading other countries and declaring war and trying to grab land in in, in vicious ways was something in the past. And here we are revisiting the 20th century again. And how is this happening? How is this happening? Where is the, where's the hope? And not just on this grand scale, but in our personal lives, in these regional areas where we see turmoil and stress and fighting and killing and shooting and all kinds of things happening in in and around us, and and we search for hope, which is why the Easter message is so important. It's the hope of God. But I think one of the challenges with Easter is trying to understand the hope of God. And so this morning, my hope is that I can help communicate to you the true hope of God through this message, through God's word, through this story that we were that you heard read just a few moments ago. And I want to explain something to you. Uh, so maybe you're wondering why I have like binoculars around my neck. And it's not that my eyes have gone that bad. It's just that they, 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 they teach me something. I gave my grandson a pair, my dad's pair, I gave him, because we're taking him to Yellowstone, I told you guys that, right? And I give him these binoculars, not these, but ones like these. And he gets them and he starts, he looks like this, he looks through them like this. And then the next thing he does is he takes them and he turns them around like this, right? And he's like, well, that's cool. Look at the, look how small you look, people. He's like, look, and he keeps walking around the room like this and looking through them from the other end. And I'm like, no, 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 Jude, the way you got to look at them is this way. They're meant to make things bigger, not make things smaller. And it just dawned on me. He had no idea. Maybe he had never seen these before. Apparently he'd never seen them, 
right? And it's like, I, I, I talk about this because I think I, I want, what I want to talk about and propose to you guys is I want to use these binoculars as like a metaphor this morning. I want to use them really to kind of help you understand the wisdom of God. Because when you think about these binoculars, where's the wisdom in these binoculars? You know, it was a Frenchman back in the 1800s, uh, J.L. Le Perrier, that actually that made the first pair of like prison binoculars, right? And, and he's the one that put all these pieces together and he's fit them together just so, so that we can actually look through them and, and see things at a distance and see things that are detailed that we couldn't see with the human eye. Right? There's, there's wisdom, and, and in order to use them as he intended, we need to look at them through this side. And as we do, the person probably for the first time that looked through these was like, oh my gosh, that is amazing. Like, how did you do this? And, and, and showing other people about these things. And the true wisdom in the binocular is in the one who made them. Right? He made them and ordered them just the way they should be. And as we've been going through Genesis, one of the things that we've been trying to, to see, one of the things we've been striving to, to understand is the way God has ordered this world, the way he has put it together, the way he has ordered it and invited and created mankind to come alongside of him and to rule in his stead and, and as his icon or as his region to go forth and bring that order, the way God designed the world to work. And to make that wisdom known and to reveal it through the way that we follow the order of God has laid out, the way we use binoculars. Right? But what happens? Right? This adversary, the serpent comes along and he's like, no, 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 no. Turn him around. Right? You can be like God. You can, can, can use him another way. You can order the world the way you would like. You have that option. But see, here's, what the, here's the thing that happens, right? When we turn these around and look, what happens? It makes what's on the other end smaller, not bigger. And that's exactly what was trying to be taught. And that's exactly what happened, right? Man actually made God smaller in his own eyes and thought that he knew better. Right? And what we've learned throughout this story, throughout this entire story, and what we see through Genesis is how that goes. <laughs> right? It doesn't go well for us. And, and it extends into today, right? As we continue to try and order the world and, and to do things the way we want to do things and, and resist really trying to understand things from God's perspective. Right? And, and this is why the writer, Paul, says this. He says, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. Right? If we really want to understand wisdom, we look from God's perspective. And when we look from God's perspective, we really see the foolishness of the world. Right? Which is my premise this morning is this. That really, in order for us to understand true wisdom and therefore true hope, that is only found in God's perspective. And not in our perspective of God. Do you follow me there? 
Right? It's only when we strive to see ourselves in the world around us and God himself and what he says about himself and who he is and how he's created everything. When we do that, then we can truly start to understand and he can reveal to us the wisdom of God and therefore the hope and the love of God. And not when we turn him around. Because when we do that, we just really make him smaller than us. And so this morning, what I hope we can do, and I believe this story does an amazing job of helping us see a couple of things. It helps us see that true wisdom, love, and hope of God. But it also reveals the true hope and wisdom of man. Because I believe in this text, it actually contrasts those two things. So that we truly, on this Easter Sunday, can have hope true hope as we come to understand the true wisdom of God. So are you guys with me so far? Have I lost you? Because I can do that, right? I can do that. I've been told I can do that. So would you guys pray with me as I endeavor to kind of help us see this this morning? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for making yourself known. We thank you for the fact that we can actually understand some of the things that you've told us. But we also understand that there are many things yet that we have come to understand or know about you. And so this morning I pray for wisdom, not just for myself, but all here who seek it. That you would give us wisdom and a depth of understanding of you that we've never had yet before. I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts would be truly pleasing in your sight. Our rock, our hope, our God. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I kind of like fibbed a little bit. Before we get there, I want to give you a little context. I want to take you back to a story that Jesus himself taught the disciples to kind of set up what you heard read earlier. Because you heard Jesus say, this is what the Messiah was supposed to do, right? And earlier in Luke, he records this. He tells his disciples that it's the Messiah, the Son of Man, must suffer many things to be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. He's told him this. He's told him this a number of times. And then, at the beginning of this chapter, we see that it's the third day, and the women, Mary, Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and other women went to the tomb, and they discovered that the stone is rolled away and the tomb is, tomb is empty. His body isn't there. The grave clothes are there, but his body is, is not there. And, and then we're told in other Gospels that actually they see Jesus. And so what do they do? They run to the eleven. They run to the other disciples and they say, He's risen. He's alive. We've seen him. And what do you think they do? Having all this knowledge. You're out of your minds. You're, you're lunatics. We... we, we we can't trust anything you say, right? I mean, you're women. No, no, wait, that's not my perspective, okay? I'm telling you what they're saying. This is the culture at the time. I mean, I'm telling you, my mom was here earlier. I would not say that in front of my mom, not and expect to go home. That's their perspective. Women were not considered trustworthy witnesses, but yet those are the first witnesses that show up at the tomb. And so what do you think happens? Well, let's go down and see for ourselves. And so that's what happens. We know that Peter and John, they go to the tomb and they look in and he's not there. 
But Jesus doesn't appear to them there. And the women are sitting there going, we didn't say he would meet you there. He'd say we'd meet you back in Galilee where, we said, where he said he would. And they come away puzzled and, and still trying to figure out what's going on. Now, they've been told, right? They've been told, and yet this all makes no sense to them. And so that brings us to this story where these two disciples, Cleopas, Cleopas and, and some scholars think it might have been his wife, right? There's some that think it might be good reason it might be his wife, but, but that second is not identified, so probably not good for me to go there. But anyway, two of them are walking down the road, and they're talking about what's happened, right? And if it's his wife, he's probably like, you guys didn't listen to the women. They saw him, and was, but maybe that was the conversation. Probably not. But they're talking, and they're downhearted. They're, we read that they're downhearted. They're, they're, they're really sad. And, and you get this picture as people were probably leaving Jerusalem, right, traveling away as they'd been there for the Passover. These two are walking away, and Jesus kind of walks up behind them and is listening to the conversation. And he steps in, and he says to them, he says to them, like, what are you guys talking about? What, what, what are you guys discussing? And they kind of stop, and they're kind of looking down, and they, and they look at him, and it says, it's like, where have you been? Have you been living under a rock? Have you not heard what's happened in Jerusalem? This man that we thought, that we believed was the Messiah, that he would come and restore hope for the people, they killed him, they crucified him. See, we had hoped he was going to be the one. He was going to be the one to redeem Israel. We thought he would come and redeem us, rescue us, save us from our suffering. But they killed him. And so there's no hope now that he is because he's dead. And furthermore, it's the third day. And we've not seen him. Do you see what they're, they still, they don't, they don't get it. And it says in the text that he hid himself from them, so they, they didn't recognize him. And, and, and we look at them and say, Jesus told you all these things, right? He's, he shared all these things with you. The women testified to you. And yet you still, like, what? And, and we look at that, right? Because unfortunately, like, or fortunately, we do know the rest of the story. And sometimes we look at them and, and, and think less of them. But really, we need to like, check ourselves a little bit. And, and New Testament scholar N.T. Wright helps us understand maybe from their perspective. We've been talking about that through Genesis. We need to try and understand what's going on from their perspective. And N.T. And Wright comes in and says, okay, let's, let me give you some perspective about this time. This is the last thing in the world they would have ever thought would have happened. Right? I mean, they had this perspective. They'd been taught this perspective. Right? That, that the Messiah would come and he would rescue them from this oppression. Whomever it was that was going to be oppressing them, when the Messiah came, he would rescue them from this oppression. He would set them free from their captives. They expected this Messiah to come and to overthrow whoever was in power. And it turned out that the ones in power killed him. And they would have never had a consideration that Someone would rise from the dead and, and, and be immortal at that point. And this is what N.T. Wright says. He said, says, we shouldn't be surprised then at how surprised they were on the first Easter morning. It wasn't just a lack of faith 
that had stopped them understanding what Jesus had said in Galilee about his rising again. It was simply that nobody had ever dreamed that one single living person who would be killed stone dead and then raised to a new sort of bodily life the other side of the grave while the rest of the world carried on as before. It's the last thing in the world. There was nothing from their perspective that would ever give them an idea, an inkling, that that's what the Messiah would do. And he's saying, so we need to kind of like back up a minute and say, from their perspective, from what they've been taught, from how they've been raised, how they've been raised from their leaders and teachers, that this is what the Messiah would be. That's what they were expecting. And so when Jesus showed up, they don't recognize him. And so what does Jesus do? He teaches them. He said to them, how foolish are you? And how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did, you not, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning him. It's like Jesus is saying, here, give me these things. Give me these things. Here, turn them around. Turn them around. And I want you to now look at this story through me. Jesus is now describing what has happened in history from God's perspective. And he is our lens. That's what he's doing on the road. He's giving them a godly perspective through his life. Now, through him, he's teaching them not just through a few verses in the scriptures, but all of the scriptures. He said it's been moving to this point. There's been this movement in the text to this point. And now Jesus flips it around and says, here, let me show you. And, and, and he's walking with them, and he's teaching them this thing, these things that they had yet been taught. And then we're told they come to this town, and he's going to move on, and they invite him in for dinner, and he comes in for dinner, and we're told that when he sits down with them, that he actually breaks bread with them. And when he breaks bread with them, as he starts to give them the bread, we're told their eyes are open. And who do they see? They see Jesus. The one who had been talking to them all along on the road, the one who had been showing them God's perspective, was Jesus. See, it was Jesus that opened their eyes. It wasn't their wisdom. It wasn't their ascent to, to understanding. Right? I mean, that, that certainly, they, he showed them that they comprehended it, but it was Jesus that opened their eyes. And he's saying to them, he says, you thought that the Messiah would come and rescue you from your suffering. You never thought that God would come and rescue you through suffering, through his own suffering, through the suffering and death of his son. But that's the wisdom of God. And that's what he opens their eyes to. And then he disappears from them. And, and they look at each other and said, weren't our hearts not burning when he was talking to us on the road? We, we, we felt that there was something going on. And that's what Jesus does. Right? When he walks alongside you, as you allow him to teach you through his word, this is where he walks with us today, is in this word. He walks with us here in this church with one another in groups as we encounter him in his word, struggling as we can to just like, no, turn these around and see from God's perspective. 
Because he knows that when we do, we'll see the true wisdom and the true love and the true hope of God. Not our interpretation of it, but his interpretation of it, which is true wisdom. And that's what Jesus wants to do for everyone. He said, I came to testify to that truth. If you see me, you've seen the Father. Come, walk with me. Let me show you. And so they, what do they do? They run off. They run off and they go tell the other disciples. And what do they say? It's true. He's risen. He has risen. And why are they so sure? Why were the women so sure? Because they saw Jesus physically resurrected, not a, an apparition, not a ghost, not a symbolic rising. Not just a warm story, but the literal, physical Jesus in a new body with the scars and everything right there with them. And right then, what happens? Jesus appears amongst the disciples. He goes through the same kind of teaching that he sent the other two through. And he says, come, look, touch, see. It is me. In fact, he's like, I'm kind of hungry. You got some fish? See, ghosts don't eat. Luke is testifying to us that the risen Christ rose physically. He has a body. And, and, and as he does, their eyes are opened. Their whole perspective changes. What they thought was the worst thing in the world turns out to be the very best thing they could have ever imagined. They couldn't imagine. That God would come and actually suffer for them. And, and so what do they do? Well, it tells us at the end of this chapter. It says, while he was blessing them, he was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. So what do they do? They run back to the temple and they say, he is risen indeed. Hallelujah. We have seen him. And these men and women who were cowering in, 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 in upper rooms and hiding from the, the Jewish authorities and the Roman authorities are now back at the temple steps praising and worshiping and declaring Jesus is risen. Because Jesus has opened their eyes. He's given them a brand new perspective. He's shown them the wisdom of God. That this world that we, you and I so desperately need because it's when we can try to understand the wisdom of God that we see the true hope in Jesus. We see the love of God. There's one more perspective I, I, I want to give you, I believe, from this story that I think Luke is trying to convey and I believe God is trying to help us see this Easter morning. And that's in this meal. Jesus opened their eyes that day and and I don't think it's coincidental, I don't believe it's coincidental that he breaks bread, which is what he'd done with the disciples the night that he was betrayed, right? And he gives it to them. And here he's continuing that by breaking the bread and, and opening their eyes to who he is. Right? And in doing so, the perspective I want you to see in this meal and in this story is how God sees each and every one of you. God sees you and says to every single one of you here today, whether you trust in him or not, 
whether you believe in him or not, God is saying to every one of us today, you matter to me. You are valuable to me. Every one of you. Stop listening to the lie in your head and to the accuser that's causing you to turn things around to see God is too small, too distant to care. God is saying, you matter to me. You want to know how much? My son's life I was willing to give for you. That is how much you matter to me. Hear me today. We look around and we look at one another and we judge by outward appearance, the scripture tells us. God doesn't do that. God sees the heart of man. God sees us like we don't even see ourselves. It is hard to struggle with and think that God would do this for me. It seems reckless. It seems foolish. But see, that's the wisdom of God. That's the love of God, and that is the hope that we have in Jesus. Because Jesus came and died and defeated sin by paying the price, by living this life, and, and, and giving the perfect sacrifice for the world, he defeats sin. And in resurrecting, being resurrected into a physical body, he defeats death. The two weapons the enemy uses to control you, to make you afraid and to make you small, and to cause you to strive from this perspective to make yourselves great, when God is saying, you are great in my eyes. Jesus defeated sin and death, which means because he was raised to eternal life, physically, we're told that we will be raised to new life. That we need not fear the threat of death. Jesus has overcome death. Paul says, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Jesus Christ is risen. He has risen indeed. Hallelujah. Would you pray with me?